Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Garland here. I've got Michael with me. Hello. Michael's up this week, and uh, we're continuing in this series, uh, Risen, where we are just thinking about the implications of the empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus um, has changed everything, and we build our, our life on that. We stake our claim of faith on that. It, it is a it is a audacious claim to make, um, but it's one that Christians uh, have made for 2,000 years because we think it's anchored in a historical reality, um, and the implications and what it means are profound, and it doesn't get much more profound, perhaps, than... Just, it's just five verses, you know, right. what we're going to look at this this uh, upcoming Sunday. Um, they're famous verses. If you've been around fellowship, um, much of the way we uh, do our church and ministry comes from the the command given in these five verses. So it's, uh, I know every time either of us get the occasion to teach it, we're both a little bit um, like we're honored, but yeah. also there's like a... I mean, this is familiar, and it can, it come with, can come with some, uh, how am I going to make this new or fresh? But the good thing is, um, it's it's just an amazing passage in how, uh, in how Mark, uh, Matthew concludes this gospel. So um, we're looking at the Great Commission passage. So Matthew chapter 28, the last few verses. And so Michael, kind of set us up a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, what you're saying, you know, on Palm Sunday, Garland, you, uh, from the platform, you used the phrase, turning the diamond. Let's see a different facet. And so that's what I'm hoping to do this week. And and what I'm thinking is probably most of our listeners are familiar with Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you're not, go ahead and hit pause, read the passage, come back, unpause it. Um, but it is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus, it's the final words of the book of Matthew. And it's Jesus telling his disciples, all authority has been given to me. And then it says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And so we take this as, you know, we use phrases like it's our marching orders, it's our command, it's our instruction as the church. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to go make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And then it ends, um, we always point this out, but Matthew ends not with a command, but with a promise, which is, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And so the, the way I hope to turn the diamond this week is to focus not as much on the directives, which is what we normally do and appropriately do. If, we, if we're going to be on mission for Jesus, we need to know what that mission is, and it's very clear here. But this week, we're in the context of this Risen series, and so my hope is, what does the resurrection have to do with the Great Commission. Obviously, it comes after the resurrection, and so we're really going to focus on the authority that Jesus has. What is that? What does it mean? Um, And then the promise that he's with us, and let those actually kind of inform what we see uh, in verse 19, the beginning of 20, which which is the imperative. Of course, the imperative being make disciples. Everything else we know um, revolves around that, hangs off of that grammatically. So, uh, yeah, that's where we're headed, is just thinking about what is this authority that Jesus has, and what does it mean that he's promised to be with us? Love it. So we frequently, like you said, we frequently look at the the instruction there in verse uh, in verse 19. Um, make, you know, uh, we, we want people, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't conclude with a, uh, a directive to go and force or enslave. He doesn't conclude with um, some kind of marching orders that involve taking up arms. Um, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of the way that was accomplished in the ancient world. You, 
you did go take ground for Caesar, but you did so with swords and crosses and violence. And uh, that's how a lot of ground has been taken from most kingdoms of the world. And it's interesting, Jesus, he concludes by saying, I want you to invite people to follow me and learn from me and become, um, we call it disciple, but really it's a learner. It's a way to find life and joy. And even as you were reading that again just a second ago, I almost went like, dun, dun, dun. Like it's, this is the thunderous ending to Matthew's entire gospel. And he's been working towards this the whole time. And we're we're obviously not going to go into this on, on Sunday morning, but if you read through the gospel of Matthew, you come to the end and I, you know, you, you know, some movies end with just thunderous music and the lighting is perfect. And it kind of the hero sails off into the sunset. And this is how Matthew has, has made this gospel to work. This thing that you've been searching for and, and anticipating throughout the gospel, even from the very first pages that the nations streaming to see the God of Israel and its Messiah, it concludes with Jesus saying, Hey, that's what we've done. Uh, and so even as you were just reading it again, I don't want us, I guess the, what I'm saying is I don't want us to get numbed to uh, just what an amazing vision this is uh, of Jesus here in our Great Commission. Yeah, just a couple of things to tag onto that. Um, to your point, Matthew opens with the genealogy, and right off the bat we see in the genealogy there's Gentiles. Um, and so the nation's Ethne is the Greek word, and we also see uh, in chapter 1 of Matthew this promise um, that Jesus will be Emmanuel. He will be God with you, and then these are kind of the things that we lose when we just drop into Matthew 28. We, we miss some of these bigger things that Matthew's been doing throughout the book, but if we did a survey of Matthew, we would see after the baptism, Jesus is in the wilderness. The next thing that happens is he's tempted, and Satan takes him up on a mountain, And then a little bit later in the book, um, Jesus is going to give his big sermon. It's the heart of Matthew, Matthew 5. Where does that happen? On a mountain. Then later in the book, we're going to see Jesus transfigured, revealed in his glory as he talks with Moses and Elijah. Where does that happen? On a mountain. And so now in 28, the very end of the book, Jesus and the disciples, it says the 11, uh, they weren't all there for the transfiguration. Presumably they were there for the Sermon on the Mount, but they're back with Jesus on a mountain. And again, the promise is reiterated. I'm with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And so Matthew's really weaving this thing together really skillfully. Yeah, I, I think as, as breathtaking as the ending is, it also does come, you should have a bit of a, both a lump in your throat of like, this is amazing, but also you, you should start to, a little bit sweat because what Jesus is inviting his reader and his follower, his learner, his disciple into is a life of taking a strange message about a Messiah King that became King that way by sacrificing himself for his people. And he says, go do that, but you're going to do that in the ethne, the places that won't understand it. So let's get to work. Um, And it's a summons that comes with that. And, and the scope of it, I know you want to move on, but the scope of it. I love this. All authority, <laughs> all nations, all I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. always. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it's not for a few people in a certain time in a certain place. It's mm-hmm. for every person until the end of the age, which I think means until Jesus returns and sets up his earthly kingdom. Sermon notes, listener. This is why we love this passage. <laughs> we have, it's just there's so much in it. Um, now, we, you and I had a bit of a... Uh, we might call it a nerdy conversation um, the other that day. That doesn't sound uh, yeah, like that, that sound like normal we're things there. We're usually talking about cool stuff. Sports and cars and stuff because we're cool guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, um, 
we both had the privilege of getting to uh, travel over to Israel and see these things up close and firsthand. And what's What's a bit maybe uh, surprising about this story is the setting. This story, the sermon, uh, uh, the Great Commission, its setting is uh, somewhere on a mountain, we're told, up in Galilee. And right. presumably, um, this is uh, probably somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. A lot of Jesus' ministry took place here. And what we do when, when we drop into a passage like this is Matthew's going to present this, and he's being very selective. He's leaving other events out that he's not presenting. And with our other gospel accounts, you know, Mark and Luke and John, we can begin to somewhat piece together how the timetable might have looked for the 40 days of Jesus' appearing. I think we it's interesting that we have selections of stories presented to us in these gospels, and, and they're choosing stories that they want to highlight. And this is one of those, man, I wish I was a fly on the wall kinds of moments where there are other things that happen. How these, how long were these encounters? There's a lot of questions that I have. Right. Um, but when we just have Matthew's account, it ends with him in Galilee. But when we pair that with the other uh, uh, the gospel accounts, we're going to see Jesus appearing in Jerusalem, in on the road to Emmaus, as you taught a few weeks ago, back in Jerusalem, then up in Galilee, then he ascends from the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And so trying to harmonize this becomes somewhat complicated, but right. also kind of fun. So that was our nerdy conversation. We did a little bit of a, uh, we'll call it a sanctified imagining, um, right, right. trying to piece together some of this story. And we just thought for a few minutes, we didn't kind of invite the sermon notes lister in, whether you like it or not, uh, we'll invite <laughs> you in to some of that conversation. So, Well, and part of the reason this is the week to do it is just to give you a preview, and this isn't any kind of top secret information, but after this week, we're going to do the Great Commission then we're going to look at the ascension. And then the next two weeks, um, those final two teachings in this risen series, Jesus is actually interacting with people from heaven, first with Paul on the road to Damascus, and then with John in a vision that he gives him on the Isle of Patmos. And so um, we'll talk about the Great Commission this week. Then the next week, we're going to see Jesus ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father. So mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about what actually happened during those yeah, earthly settings. Yeah, this yeah. is the this time. Is, this is the time. So if we, if we think about it, the the Jews have gathered for Passover. That's well, that's why they're all in Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem would swell by tens of thousands of people um, from a, a, rel- a, bit, a relatively large city in the ancient world. Uh, you know, it's, it's tens of thousands of people large, but it would swell. I mean, it would more than triple in size for uh, festivals. And Passover was one of the main festivals of the ancient uh, Jewish calendar. And so Jews are poor in Jesus comes in. We have the triumphal entry, the Last Supper, all the events of his, of his the final week of his life, then the crucifixion uh, on on uh, uh, around Passover, and so then we have the new week, and so the new week is starting, and that's our resurrection encounters with Jesus, and we've looked at several of those, and those are all taking place kind of around Jerusalem in a few mile radius, uh, at least. For me, a pretty hefty jog, but uh, <laughs> for mo- for many, they could go farther than me. Uh, but at least around the vicinity of Jerusalem, and what took place after Passover was a festival or a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It took place for seven days. There was kind of a celebration day, and everybody went home. So presumably. Um, the disciples and many Jews after the Resurrection Sunday, they're going to hang around Jerusalem till the following Saturday. They're going to go through another Sabbath, and then Sunday they're likely going to head home. And that actually helps us because we see two different stories in our Gospels, one here in Matthew, one over in John, where Jesus will have a resurrection encounter with his followers 
not in Jerusalem. Right. But then he's back in Jerusalem, so we've got to figure out what's all going on there. So uh, give, me, give us the other account. One's here in Matthew 28. The other one's in John. Yeah, so um, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Luke 24, if you just read it straight through, it gives the impression that Jesus appeared in the locked room, that he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and then he walked outside and left on the heavenly escalator. Right, and right. Um, to your point earlier, Luke has a second volume, and it, it, when we read it, which is Acts, we realize actually that that's not how that played out. It, he's compressed events in Luke 24 for the purposes of his writing. And mm-hmm. so we always have to remember that as students of Scripture. Everything in the Bible is Holy Spirit inspired and everything is true, but the authors have different motives, different things they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes when we try to harmonize them, as they say, and make them all fit together, we can get a little bit confused. So here's here's what I'm thinking. And again, use sanctified imagination. I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm, this is a theory. Let's say that. Jesus uh, rises on Easter Sunday. He, the first person to encounter him is Mary Magdalene in the garden. You can find that in John chapter 20. She actually thinks he's the gardener, and then she recognizes him. And then he appears uh, on the road to Emmaus. That would be the second resurrection appearance, if according to my what I'm putting together here. Then those guys or those travelers, maybe maybe they weren't both men, they go back to Jerusalem and they find the disciples in a room. Luke 24 doesn't tell us, but John 20 tells us it's a locked room, so they're afraid of the Jews, and Jesus appears to them, and Thomas misses it. I don't know if he had to go home Mm -hmm. and let the dog out or what, Mm -hmm. but he's not there. So then we're told a week later, Jesus appears a second time in the locked room. This time, Thomas is there. Then the next appearance seems to be in John 21, which is almost like this appendix, John has this concluding statement, man, if we wrote everything Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain him. And it's almost like it's a Marvel movie, and there's something else that happens yeah, after, the credits. after the credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something's coming. Now we find ourselves in Galilee. So that's what you and I were talking about, Garland. Why are they in Galilee? And my thinking is, after that week has passed, they've seen Jesus twice, Simon Peter three times because there's a one appearance that we don't we're not privy to but we're told it happened. And so I think that they have lives. They they live in Galilee. They live in Capernaum or around it and they have we know Peter has a wife, right? If you got a mother-in-law, that means you got a wife. So he needs to go home. He needs to check on the fishing business. He needs to touch base with his wife like they couldn't get on Snapchat and connect. Right. Like, and so my thinking is Sometimes it's presented as they gave up and they just went back to fishing. I I don't read it that way. I think they went home, which was their plan all along, and that's when Jesus appears to them on the beach in John 21. He restores Peter. Um, He makes some predictions about Peter's life, some exciting and some daunting, and uh, he makes some comments about what John's life is going to hold. And I think that's probably where he says, Let's meet up at this mountain because in Matthew 28, we're told they went to the place that Jesus had told them to meet him. And there he delivers the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And sometimes we've probably all heard it taught as Jesus' last words. This is the last thing he told them. I actually think Matthew 28 and Acts 1 are two events because we're told specifically in Acts 1 where the Great Commission is reiterated with different language, that they're on the Mount of Olives, which is yeah, right outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. So I think they meet Jesus there. He gives them the Great Commission. I think there were more than just the 11 there because it says some doubted, and I really think 
the apostles, they probably were no longer doubting. That's been resolved. But there were other followers of Jesus who were just like, is this really happening? Is this real? <laughs> anyway, I think they, he tells them, go back to Jerusalem. That's where he meets them. He walks with them to the Mount of Olives. He gives them the, the, the Acts version of the Great Commission, be my witnesses, wait until power comes upon you, be my witnesses, and then he ascends. Mm-hmm. So putting all that together, you know, we're, we're, we're doing some reconstruction, and it, it does make it fun. Like you're suggesting, he said, let's meet on the mountain. Um, and so, you know, because one of the questions when you just drop into the Matthew 28 account is, how'd they know where to go? How'd they know? Because he says to the mount, I told you to meet me on this mountain. And so, yeah, we're trying to reconstruct that. Um, it could be that uh, this is a, a mountain that they knew was a favorite of Jesus. I mean, both of us, it was one of my favorite spots when we went on our oh, trip. Totally. It's, you can Google it if you're not driving right now. You can Google it. Just Google Mount our bell. Um, it's a little, it's really a crag more than it is a mountain and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits in the bottom of uh, two tectonic plates that have been moving. And so down below sea level, and you can actually see the two tectonic plates uh, really pretty clearly. So really Mount Arbel is basically the edge of a tectonic plate um, and it looks out over the Sea of Galilee. And uh, that's where a, the traditional site for many of the things that Jesus does takes place uh, up on Mount Arbel. You can see the whole lake from there. So this might be where Jesus goes to pray, to have some time of solitude. Uh, from there, you can see uh, Capernaum and uh, all these, uh, Bethsaida, all these places uh, that are familiar to us. And if that was the place where Jesus uttered the words, go to all nations, not only are they looking out at Gentile-held areas that you can see mm-hmm. from there, the other side of the Sea of Galilee is Gentile, but there's a major highway that's still a highway mm-hmm. that was a Roman road that was the route to basically anywhere you wanted to go in the world mm-hmm. from Galilee. And mm-hmm. so just the symbolism, you know, it would be like uh, it would be like us going to DFW and saying, from here you can reach the world. And we're like, man, look where all these flights are going to from here. It would have been a place that would have been a great vision casting. Um, mm-hmm. You were saying it's more of a crag than a mountain. Um, it reminded me of the old saying about the Ozarks. It's not that the mountains are highest, that the valleys are deep. Right. And that's definitely that's the case definitely there. That's definitely the case there, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as you're even articulating across the ways of Decapolis, as where some uh, where where Greeks lived to your to the to your left if you're staying on the mountain that's kind of the uh, the highway is right there Capernaum you got some Jewish cities to your right they're actually in the process of building Tiberius dedicated to the Caesar uh, Emperor Tiberius back in Rome and so all that's converging on this Sea of Galilee um, and so yeah the, the disciples would have been going back down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost which was 50 days after Passover and I think in your reconstruction Jesus says let's meet there a little early uh, so ten days earlier. They're down there. They're ready. Um, and so, yeah, figuring out, putting together um, how all these came, to, uh, all these events sort of uh, correlate and work together is it's kind of fun. Um, and so we had a good, we had like a 30 minute nerd out session yesterday and we thought what better way, what do the sermon notes listener want more than that kind of a, uh, an experience? And just so. to be clear, I know we've said this, <laughs> I'm positing that as what might have happened. Right. Uh, oh it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of that's extra biblical, but it does help us just reconstruct it like the these accounts are actually not in conflict if you think about how it could have Mm -hmm. timed out well you're gonna you're gonna hit on a lot of the actual meat of our passage on sunday and i'm excited to get to uh, really look at verse 18 and 20 we hit uh, verse 19 a lot um but what does it mean um that jesus has all power and that he has we are in his presence and so we'll get uh, we await that uh on sunday we might even look at daniel 7 again that'd be a a, I couldn't imagine it. You take us to Daniel 7 again. Um, Well, with that, uh, we hope you have a great week. Uh, We'll see you Sunday. And uh, thanks for listening to Sermon Notes.